Hello and welcome to NDIS Know How, a podcast series that asks, how can parents get the very best NDIS plan and ample funding to support their kid? This podcast is written and made by me, Melanie Dimmitt, the author of Special Antidotes to the Obsessions that Come with a Child's Disability, and sponsored by HireUp, a disability support platform connecting families like mine with top-notch support workers. In this episode, I chat with Sabika Rizvi, a Newcastle-based mother of four boys. Her middle two, Arbid and Taha, who are 10 and 8, both have cerebellar hyperplasia and ataxic quadriplegic cerebral palsy, among other diagnoses. Yeah, my husband's a surgeon, uh, so it's pretty full-on crazy lifestyle with the boys and him never being around. In this chat, we cover how Sabika manages the colossal amount of admin and organisation that comes with having two kids on the NDIS, how she's fought for better plans all the way to tribunals, and how she's made time for her own mental health in amongst it all. Sabika's boys were part of the very first NDIS trials in the Hunter Valley region, making her a seasoned expert when it comes to navigating this thing. I start by asking Sabika, what advice does she have for parents who are getting ready for their kids' NDIS planning meeting? Be very well prepared. Have all the reports ready beforehand. Have your therapist write the recommended hours of therapy in those reports. Um, Because, of course, they're coming from a professional. If they are recommending those hours, then it it has a weight in the report. I go in my meetings with stacks of reports, quotes, AT requests, um, have recommended support hours as well. Have your therapist recommend those support hours if you require or if your kids require support worker hours. If it's coming from a therapist that that's the amount of support you need, it does have a weightage in it. Yeah, that's what works for us. Um, as prepared as you can be, that's the best um, you could do. Yeah. Definitely be organized. Um, Am I right in thinking you've had some struggles with the NDIS and you've needed to do plan reviews? Our biggest struggle with NDIS is they don't recognize that early intervention and neuroplasticity works after seven years of age as well. That's one of our biggest struggle. I have to prove the significance of disability every year in the planning meetings. Like, it's too difficult for a parent to prove that every year. Um, And they don't track the progress. We went for a planned review for Abit twice, one in 2019, and we were doing an intensive therapy at that time. So um, the internal review came as, no, they're not going to approve whatever we were asking. We were asking for intensive therapies and more therapy hours, because that's what worked for my boys. Um, And they said there was no proof of it. All evidence and reports were provided. But because we were in that intensive therapy block, I did not get the time to go ahead and pursue it further. Mm -hmm. So when they replied to it saying, no, we can't, you know, do anything about it. I just left it. And it happened again in 2020. That's when I realized, no, I have to do something about it. It's then when I went to tribunal and I had to go through the whole process of tribunal and everything. And in the end, we received the funding that we wanted. We received everything that we asked for. 
great. But you had to go through the absolute ringer to get there. What's it like going to tribunal? What's that process like? It's very difficult. You have to be very strong and you have to stick to your ground when you're doing that. Um, You have to prove that you're right. And there will come times when they will try to show that you're not right. And maybe you're overdoing it. That's what happened with me. I was shown as if I was overdoing their therapies. A mom of four boys managing so many things, trying to have a life of my own as well, and doing two boys with therapy, there is no time for overdoing anything. Yeah. And they made me doubt myself. And there were times when I thought, no, I, I cannot do this. I, um, maybe I am overdoing it. And maybe I, maybe this is not right. Maybe they're right. Maybe they, he doesn't need it. Maybe the boys really don't need that much therapy. I, mean, I stick to my ground. I was like, no, I'm their best advocate. And you have to think like that. You're the best advocate. So yes, um, if you have to go towards that point where you have to go to the tribunal, you have to stick to your ground. You have to follow your instinct and believe that whatever you're doing is the best for your kid or yourself and have all evidence ready for it. So we had 12 reports recommending those things. And we still had to do the tribunal. We still had to go through all that. Even then, they asked us to go to an independent pediatrician and have Abid assessed by him. He, of course, um, said the same thing all the other ones had said. He gave a good report and um, it was then that, you know, they agreed and we got all the funding. But this has happened again with us. The plan came out in um, August and our funding was cut down by two thirds. And we have everything booked in. We were were supposed to do uh, intensive in September and the plan had nothing, no funding left for it. So we are back to um, internal review process for Taha now. And yeah, we're still waiting on the result. So let's see how that goes. So you have to start from square one every single time. And this could potentially see you going to tribunal again. Yes. And that's torturous. It is. is Every time I have a meeting with the planner or the tribunal it leaves me emotionally drained out i'm mentally sitting and doubting myself every time i'm thinking i can't do this and yeah it takes me some time like when i received his planning um his plan with an email saying that you know everything's been cut down and I i was looking at that email i cried it took me three days to get over the fact and start fighting back again but yeah. not not every parent has that has courage or strength to fight that back. Like many parents of young kids, Sabika self-manages her children's NDIS funds. I find the administration this requires takes me a hell of a lot of time with just one kid. So I asked Sabika, how does she do it with two? As soon as I get the plan, I divide everything. Like I sit down for a good few hours and I'll um, calculate all the weekly costs and that's how I go about booking appointments and doing everything because that's the first couple of hours that I allocate and then I allocate all the funding that I have received 
And that's how I do it. So I know from the day one, that this is how much I can spend in a week. So I never yeah. overspend. Gosh, you're super, super organized. I'm not actually. I don't have a spreadsheet. I have listened to people having spreadsheets and Excel reports and I don't. I just have a system that works for me. I have a um, document in my Google Keep, which knows that this is the weekly uh, funding. And I, I don't have to do this um, more than this amount. Uh, I have all the appointments booked in on a yearly basis. I have some therapists who do term-wise appointments, but I know how much I can do. Yeah. And the invoices come when I receive those emails. Yes, those emails are you know very organized. They have folders. They go in the folders. I have records of invoices. I'm never printing them. I'm not overdoing because I don't have the time for it. And when I sit for invoicing, I don't do it on a weekly basis. I do it fortnightly or in three weeks basis. Uh, and I have that one hour to hour allocated and I'll sit down. I have the funding report in front of me and I have the payment, you know, the, sub, the submission periodic report so that I know what was the last date I submitted and how many invoices I did. And then I start working. I like that you put boundaries around it, though. You have a time when you do your invoices because I just do them as soon as they come in, which means I feel like I spend my life in the NDIS portal because I'm just sort of doing it as it comes in. I love the idea of putting boundaries around it, but I worry that therapy centers will get pissy with me because they say on their invoices that they want it paid within two days. So I would worry that if I wait, I sat on that and did it, you know, in a week with a whole bunch of them that I'd get in trouble, but that doesn't happen. Actually, well, I have paid invoices in two months, two to three months. I have wow. Therapists. We have, we have had the same therapist for the last five years. We have, we have not moved to different therapists. We have like a very good bonding, good relationship with those therapists. They know that I will pay them eventually. <laughs> there's trust yeah they they will send me invoices then there will be a second reminder of invoices coming and then there will be a statement of coming for the last two months that I haven't paid (laughs) but they know you'll get to it and I love that because you need to do that for your own mental health you can't be constantly you know spending time every single day paying invoices I think that's a really good strategy in what other ways do you protect yourself from getting really overwhelmed by everything that's required of you burnout is real it Mm. is um and i have actually over the years tried to get hobbies and to have that time to myself i don't get that time to myself i really don't but over the time i have um i would look at youtube videos for some things that i never knew I could do I've become more creative Um, I have learned new things and that happens only in the half an hour to 45 minutes before I go to sleep and that's my time everyone knows nobody can talk to me at that time Uh, and that's when I'm either watching something learning something I have created a studio for myself in my house where I will create stuff I have been working on a lot of projects that never come to the point of ending <laughs> I don't have the time to finish them off but everyone knows that's my space um, and I need that space and I actually learned it the hard way because 
the emotional stress if i was not doing that and before i was not doing that i was always crying mm-hmm. i was so depressed i was a completely different person it that that helped me to get out of that depression grief phase and to give my full on you know my full self to the boys Obviously you've had a lot of struggles and it seems like ongoing it seems like every time you get a plan you then have to get it fixed so that it and you've had to sort of it really frustrates me that you know our children's diagnosis doesn't change but it seems like we have to start from the beginning every time and explain what they need whereas as you say that should kind of be in their history and documented and you shouldn't have to go back there but to sort of end on a positive note you know I kind of think the NDIS is definitely not perfect but where the hell would we be without it how has the NDIS helped your family we wouldn't be able to do anything if NDIS wouldn't have been there it's as simple as that so uh, every time I go to a meeting I make sure I tell them how grateful we are for them being in the system for um, the NDIS because this is where it all started. We would never have been able to do so many therapies. We would never have been able to get so much support if NDIS would not have been there. Yes, we have struggles, but struggle is part of the system. Um, NDIS has helped our family in getting to where they are now. My boys can walk, they can go up the stairs Taha is able to take those five steps because we could do all those therapies. And if NDIs wouldn't have been there or they wouldn't have supported us, we could not do all this. A big thank you to Sabika for sharing her experiences and wisdom around the NDIS. And also to my sponsor, Higher Up, for supporting me in making this podcast. I'll catch you again soon on NDIS Know How.